Welcome to the Mike Litton Experience Podcast. Mike has over 31 years experience in real estate, finance, and investing. He's passionate about being a father, a teacher, a realtor, an investor, and a leader. Everyone has a story, and our passion is to help them tell it. And now, introducing the host of the Mike Litton Experience, Mike Litton. So what can you expect from the Mike Litton Experience? You can expect stories that will inspire, motivate, advice that will sharpen your focus, and expert information on real estate, finance, and market conditions. Ying Lu, thank you so much for being our guest on the Mike Litton Experience. I cannot thank you enough for taking time out of your schedule to be with us today, and I'm super excited about our time together. Like we talked about before we hit record, everybody has a story, and our passion is to help them tell it. So with your permission, we're going to start with where you were born, go all the way through to today, and then I want to talk about Blue Lake Packaging and what makes it so unique and so and so attractive to people who care about the environment, okay? Thank you. Yeah, it has been such an honor to be on your show. Uh, thank you for having me. We're excited to have you. So tell us where you were born. I was born in Beijing, China. Okay. Uh, yeah, so there was uh, like a very uh, bustling metropolitan city, as people can imagine. It has probably 25 million people. I lost counting wow. already. That's a lot. <laughs> Did you grow up there? Uh, yeah, I grew up there. I finished college uh, in Beijing. I have uh, all my family, like extended families are in Beijing. My friends from schools are still in, you know, mostly in China, in Beijing. And uh, I um, frequently go back, you know, to visit my families. And uh, yeah, so I still have a deep root in. That's in awesome. <laughs> what was your favorite thing about growing up in Beijing? Favorite things. Wow, there are so many, as you can imagine. You know, there is just the... Uh, uh, the food, you know, the the alleys, there are a lot of history in Beijing. They're mm -hmm. like Forbidden City, there are Summer Palace, there are Great Walls, there are so kind, all kinds of museums. Um, and of course, you know, as I said, my my childhood friendships are are still there. And needless to say, my families, my extended families, you know, those make me feel like I need to go back to visit them. We have a very close tie. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was little, well, as you know, like last weekend was the Chinese New Year. Yeah. So uh, that's really reminded me uh, every Chinese New Year when I was little, uh, we, you know, went to my grandma's house, my, 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 on my father's side, and then my grandpa's house on my uh, mother's side. Uh, we have a big family gathering, and then there's definitely little, you know, red envelopes. So that was, a, you know, the time, like, you know, make some money. <laughs> yeah, that's and awesome. uh, so those are all my fond memories of Beijing. <laughs> So who was the most influential person to you growing up? Wow. Um, I think there, uh, what's interesting was, I think when I was little, um, I always liked to, to listen to, you know, the conversations with adults, you know, mm -hmm. so they always talk about their work and they talk about politics and they talk about, you know, things that they heard uh, from other people, from neighbors. Um, so I was always like, you know, just to sit there and lis listening to, you know, what they talk about. Mm -hmm. um, I definitely felt like my family, like my parents uh, have been a big, you know, make a big impact on kind of 
shape my values, you know, yeah. like, you know, how to treat others, you know, help people be part of a community. And also, I think what's important when I look back, uh, thinking about, you know, being a, a parent myself now, I'm a mother of two uh, daughters, uh, 12 and nine, mm -hmm. um, just, uh, you know, what I felt like I learned from my parents was give them the freedom to do what they wanted to do and not just right. uh, <clears throat> give them the answer, give them the questions, but not the answers. Right. Uh, so I have many examples, like for instance, I remember uh, in high school, I I wanted to be a journalist. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted to go to college and study journalism. And then, uh, so I actually joined the TV station, being a TV host at one point, I wanted to uh, really try it out and see what it's like. Uh, and also I happened to have uh, an aunt who works for uh, China Daily, one is uh, English or the, the the leading English newspaper in China. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, she was uh, a chief editor for the weekend edition. Mm -hmm. uh, so I followed her uh, during the weekend, uh, just uh, you know, go to some gala nights and uh, some fashion shows, you know, just mm -hmm. to experience what it's like to be in a reporter. Yeah. And to with you at the end of the day, well, my parents actually supported all of this. And what I still remember, what's interesting was uh, my dad at one point about uh, five books, uh, you know, from like a book fair mm -hmm. was all about, you know, like a journalism and journalists and then, uh, you know, their life stories. <laughs> so uh, I think they really opened the door uh, to me to really try something before I make up my mind. Gotcha. Uh, the, the the interesting part was after reading those books, after following my, you know, aunt, you know, uh, all over the places, and uh, I decided not to be a journalist <laughs> because I, uh, what I see was I think every even now, like I I I've, I've been to different industries and doing different things throughout my life, uh, but what I learned was you know, there are always the pros and cons of every job. Oh, you know, sure. you cannot find the perfect job and say, hey, you make tons of money at the same time, you're happy every day. There's no challenges, there are no conflicts, so there's no downside of it, anything. Right. Um, so I learned, you know, everything has, you know, a downside. And then um, the, the, the truth is, or the reality is um, whether or not you still enjoy the positive side of something, but that you can, basically bear with, you know, uh, right. the, the downside of something. So okay. <laughs> that's kind of, uh, you know, when it, you talk about who influenced me the most, I think uh, definitely my parents. And then later on, uh, when I joined Apple, uh, I had a great boss, you know, uh, who, who is a senior executive at Apple and uh, has influenced me uh, in many different ways in terms of leadership. So I just felt like being so fortunate, you know, being uh, surrounded with people who have very kind of positive, you know, attitude and also give me a lot of times a platform or freedom to try what I wanted to try when I fail, they will help me and support me and not just uh, to blame me. <laughs> I, I gotcha. So in high school, what was your favorite subject? Um, interesting. Uh, I think uh, what I did fairly well was English. I wouldn't mm. say that was my favorite subject, but I did it fairly well. Uh, I listened to Voice America, VOA, when I was in China. I read China Daily, of course, and then some other newspapers, like English newspapers, giving the access to my aunt and uh, uh, all this. And 
uh, and uh, also I have you know friends from America. By the way, uh, what's interesting was um, I uh, wanted originally, as I said, I want to be a journalist and I wanted to be an English reporter or something. And uh, so English was my, I can say probably English was my favorite subject at the time. <laughs> I gotcha. Okay. So when you go to college, so, mm -hmm. so after high school, you go to college. Mm -hmm. What did you major in in college? Uh, I majored in, uh, is called industrial engineering and okay. foreign trade. Uh, so what it was about at the time, actually in the early 90s, uh, China just started opening the door, you know, to the foreign countries and they have a lot of like partnerships with different companies. Mm -hmm. uh, so this major was actually created in that kind of economy, okay. uh, just helping people to learn some uh, engineering kind of concept, but at the same time doing business with, you know, companies that focus on technology. Because right. as you can imagine, you know, I think in the US is business administration. But I, mm -hmm. you know, one thing I really learned uh, before I go to college while I was still in high school uh, was in order to learn business, you really need to learn something, you know, mm -hmm. the, because the business itself is transactions, you know, right. it's like how you build, build relationships. You know, there's definitely some, common skills you can learn right. you know, outside of school. Right. Uh, on the other side, in order to say, hey, you want to, to sell uh, computers or you want to sell you know, uh, semiconductor chips, you, know, you want to sell something or you want to do business you know, with this kind of, or even agriculture equipment, mm -hmm. uh, you really need to learn you know, how it works, the mm -hmm. technical side of something before you can even do the trading. Gotcha. Um, so that's kind of, uh, uh, my philosophy right now, even, you know, nowadays, you know, when I talk to my, my girls, I always want them to get into sort of engineering, you know, uh, at least uh, learn some engineering concept before they, you know, think about, you know, something else. <laughs> right. How to build it, basically. Yeah, exactly. How you need to learn how to build it, you know, uh, what it takes to, uh, to, to build it and uh, the cost of structure before you really try to do some business. Yeah. So did you have a favorite subject in college? Um, interesting. Um, probably I could not say I have a favorite subject. What I really happy about my uh, college education was um, it really gave me a wider spread of mm. subjects that I can choose from. Because is you know in today's term is kind of interdisciplinary. You know, right. it's just like some schools. You know, you don't really have a major or a focus you can yeah. choose and pick all different kinds of subjects and then you create almost like a major yourself mm -hmm. um, it's a little bit like that so I learned you know a lot of subjects in engineering uh, and some even in English uh, at the time and then a lot of subjects in business like negotiation contract you know supply chain things like that um, and uh um, yeah, so I can now say, you know, there's one thing I really, really like, but but if you uh, ask me, you push me on that one, I felt like a mechanical drawing was one of my favorite because I really like to, you know, uh, there, there are so many different uh, components in it, you know, when right. you have, you know, a very complex component and you need to draw a 2D drawing you know, on that, at that time, there was no CAD, there are no CAD, you know, stations, like we right. all just have a 2B pencil and then a long ruler. <laughs> right. So that was kind of what we did. And a lot of logic, a lot of sort of uh, 
uh, imaginations, like what's behind that, you know, when you use dotted line, when you use solid line, you know, if people understand what I'm talking about, but yeah. you know, nowadays people don't do that anymore. They well, it's a different world, right? Yeah. Different world. I sat down with my son a few years ago, what, three years ago or something, mechanical engineering major, right? Mm -hmm. And, and also biomed minor. And mm -hmm. I'm sitting with him and he's like, dad, watch. And he literally built this part mm -hmm. on a computer and it took four minutes, mm -hmm. five minutes. I mean, it was crazy. And the whole thing was, was literally built like, mm -hmm. and you just kind of, you know, it's like, this is crazy. How long yeah. would that, would, would that have taken with a pencil and a ruler and a piece of paper? Like you're talking about, you know, it's, mm -hmm. I mean, it's just a completely different world now. So yeah. it, it was fascinating to watch him do that mm -hmm. because, you know, he had done in his four and a half years in school, he had done that many, many times, right? For him, it was just rote. He could have done it with his eyes closed. Mm -hmm. And it was just, it was fascinating for me to, you know, to, to see what he had learned and also to see how much technology has advanced. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was doing this from a PC. He wasn't using some supercomputer or something. He was literally using a PC in the lab. So <laughs> it was, um, it was fascinating. So, yeah, you, so you graduate from, from, from college right. in Beijing, mm -hmm. then where do you go? Uh, yeah, then my life started to kind of become more interesting. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I wanted to go to the U.S. because at the time, uh, two of my aunts, like my, my father has uh, five siblings uh, and two out of them uh, were in the U.S. And yeah. uh, I've been you know, reading so much, you know, as I said, in English about U.S. And uh, uh, I was so fascinated about going to a different country to explore uh, a completely probably different life. Um, so I, I I took a GMAT, I took a TOEFL, those are the English tests like for uh, foreign language learners. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then uh, I actually joined a program. It's, uh, it's a, a study abroad program in China mm -hmm. uh, offered to uh, some liberal arts college students um, as part of their summer kind of program. Right. Uh, so I, 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 because I need to make some money and, uh, well, I was, uh, you know, preparing for my, um, kind of exams to the U S to get my, hopefully get into a graduate school. Um, and, uh, so, uh, I taught the Chinese there, uh, for the summer and, um, uh, luckily, uh, at the end of the program, I was offered an opportunity to come to Hamilton college in upstate okay. New York. Okay. Um, so I became a Chinese teacher for a year. Actually, I was a teaching fellow at Hamilton College. Wow. Yeah, how I came so to- So right out of college, right out of school. Yeah, that was right out of college. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so- and that you was for uh, a year? Yeah, for a year. So I was a teaching kind of a fellow at Hamilton College in, okay. uh, I don't know, you familiar with upstate New York, at Clinton, yeah. New York. is uh, somewhere between Syracuse and Albany. Right. <laughs> So what was your favorite thing about teaching? Um, that's a, also very interesting. I felt like, you know, at the age of 23, at the time, you know, I became a teacher be before I became a student mm -hmm. <laughs> again. Right. Um, but what I liked was I really loved the interactions with the mm -hmm. students. Uh, because they're so very sincere and they're very supportive. Um, so I felt like I, w I wasn't really their teacher. You know, I was more like a, their friends, their 
kind of uh, you know a teaching partner and uh, so and uh, also I think they're uh, very interested at the time like in the culture stuff so we chat a lot and I learned a lot from them as well uh, because we're probably only three or four years apart at right. most and uh, um, so yeah I think that those are uh, all uh, very good experience to me I never thought about you know being a Chinese teacher myself I thought about yeah. being a teacher at one point when yeah. I was young but I, uh, but I felt like that was my dream come true, you know, being a teacher and uh, uh, teaching something I feel very comfortable with. <laughs> right. So you teach for a year at Hamilton. Then mm -hmm. where do you go? Uh, then uh, I, uh, because I came to you as I have the dream of going to a graduate school. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the time, you know, uh, I don't have that. I didn't have that much money. I cannot afford, you know. Uh, without a scholarship so i started looking for uh business schools that offer uh scholarships right. uh, i applied for three uh schools and uh, michigan state uh, uh provided me a scholarship mm -hmm. and also gave me an offer you know for uh an mba program so after uh teaching i went to east lansing michigan okay. uh, become a spartan <laughs> yeah i love it so yeah. you go to so you go to michigan state you get your mba mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Once you have, once you finish that, where do you go? Uh, that was uh, the beginning of my Apple story. Then. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So you, so, went, um, so you got your MBA and went to work for Apple. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Upon graduation, uh, I went to, for Apple. Uh, but part of that story, I think, uh, was uh, believe it or not, I think basically uh, for uh, the MBA program, normally they welcome the companies to come to the campus to for recruiting. Right. Uh, and one of my story at the time was uh, when Apple came to the campus, like normally the school will make announcement and say, hey, the next week, uh, you know, X company will come or, you know, what company will uh, will present right. uh, to recruit. Um, and then they will uh, pre-screen the resumes. Right. Uh, I wasn't the first selected, uh, believe it or not. You know, uh, yeah, I wasn't, you know, selected for their first round of interview. Uh, but I felt like, okay, I really like the Apple. I like the, what they're doing, even though at the time that was uh, 1999. Right. Uh, Apple was still sort of the the the, the underdog. I would yeah. say that wasn't really as famous as. Yeah, they, they weren't. Were. They weren't what they are today, for sure. No, not at all. You know, people were really concerned about you know whether or not you know Apple would survive. Right. And yeah, uh, they were having some like, tough times back then. Oh yeah, absolutely. That was when like Steve just came back. I think mm -hmm. uh, just a few current executives joined Apple and, uh, uh, but uh, I was in supply chain and finance. So I thought like, okay, why not? I love technologies, you know, because right. other companies like consulting were, you know, chemistry, uh, yeah, chemistry were uh, airline or, you know, automobile, obviously in Michigan. Right. I think they're all great, but I was curious about Silicon Valley. So I thought yeah. like, okay, I would, uh, you know, come to, uh, the company presentation, even though I wasn't uh, pre-selected. Right. Um, so at the end of the presentation, I went to talk to the recruiter um, and uh, basically, you know, told them about my background, you know, even though I don't really have any business experience, as you can imagine, I only taught Chinese for a year. Right. Um, but I, uh, but I, for whatever reason, I impressed them. They said, "Oh, you can come and join us for an interview the next day." Awesome. Uh, so that's uh, I, I kind of uh, created an opportunity for myself. Uh, so that's kind of a life, life, um, 
life learning experience, like, you know, sometimes don't take a no as a no, <laughs> just to go try your best and then right. you never know what's going to happen, <laughs> right? Uh, so they, so just so we're clear, they did, you weren't in the first round of interviews. Mm -hmm. So you went down there and met somebody. Mm -hmm. So what made you do that? Um, as I said, I was very curious about the company. I was very curious about Silicon Valley. Uh, I look at, you know, all other companies. I think uh, my priority, Apple was on top of my sort of priority list. Right. I really want to get into, you know, a company in Silicon Valley and really learn about, you know, the culture here. I feel that could be uh, once in a lifetime experience. Right. Uh, even though at the time, actually, I interned with Nortel Networks. So that's another life story, I guess. You know, I interned the, the summer uh, before I interned mm -hmm. with Nortel Networks. I was waiting for their offer, uh, full-time job offer. So I thought, like, I would have just joined Nortel. Right. When Apple came, I thought, like, wow, Silicon Valley, you know, that sounds very cool and fun. You know, I, I wanted to kind of experience it. So I went to the, uh, the company presentation. I sort of, you know, you know, share my perspectives, and I don't even remember actually what I said, but uh, uh, somehow I impressed, you know, one of the recruiters and uh, mm -hmm. agreed to add me to their list for the next day's interview. So did you go and introduce yourself to the recruiter or did you stand up and ask questions? I think I may ask, I might have asked questions, but uh, probably I, I, what I really remember was I did go down the aisle because that was like a big classroom, as you can imagine. So I went to the recruiter, you know, with my resume, you know, I said, you know, this is me, what I did this, this and that, you know, and I asked them some questions, I believe. So somehow, you know, even though without any business background or even uh, meaningful work experience, I impressed them and they added me to the interview list. So, so you didn't make the first round, but you went down and introduced yourself to a recruiter and struck up a conversation with them. Mm -hmm. And you were able to, to get their attention enough to where they, to where you got on their, on their list to, to be interviewed. Yep. You be, you get interviewed and you get hired. Yes, I was hired. And then uh, two or three years later, uh, because they have several rounds of interview, uh, and then uh, we were invited to uh, fly to Cupertino, right. uh, to the Bay Area, and then got interviewed and then met with executives, uh, you know. Um, and uh, so two or three years later, after I joined Apple, what's, what's interesting was I still remember uh, one of the recruiters at the time uh, chatted with me um, and said, hey, Ying, you probably did not know um, you were on top of the, the hiring list after the interview. <laughs> so pretty I thought cool. like, oh, wow. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah, that was a very cool experience. I still uh, felt, as I said, you know, just uh, sometimes uh, what I, now I learned, like never take a no as a no. <laughs> right. Well, and you know, what you learned obviously is even though you didn't make the first round of the interviews, you sort of stuck your nose in there, right? You you got in you got in through the crack in the door, so to speak, and you 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 built up a relationship with this recruiter that got their attention, and then you were off to the races, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. you would have never had that opportunity if you had just taken, oh well, I didn't make the first round of the interview list and moved on to a different company. Mm -hmm. There are so many people that are listening to this that have done that and and would be tempted to do that 
And what they need to do is if they really want that job, if they really want to work for that company, there's a way to figure it out, right? There's a way to go find somebody of influence that you can build a relationship with to get yourself in there. Yes. There's a way, right? Where there's a Absolutely. will, there's a way, so to speak, right? Yeah, and then throughout my career, I interviewed, I wouldn't say a thousand, but at least a few hundred at least <laughs> people. Right. I have uh, many, many opportunities to recruit people uh, and uh that was exactly true. You know, just uh, sometimes I felt like, you know, I I would like to hire people who uh, who who will be willing to take a risk right. and uh, who really understand how to start a conversation right. and how to impress the recruiter. <laughs> right. Well, you know, it shows desire, right? Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that is, I think, more important when you're when you're when you have an MBA mm -hmm. than ever. Because you have an MBA and there are people out there that think, well, I've got an MBA now, so they should come to me. Mm -hmm. That's not the way it works. That's not yeah. the way business works. And you're living proof of it. <laughs> right? Yeah, I have many examples like that later yeah. on. But you're absolutely you're right. Uh, you know, life is all about uh, initiatives. <laughs> it really is. So you, so you go, so you work at Apple for how long? For 12 years. Wow. So what was your favorite thing about working for Apple? Oh, too many to list. <laughs> um, Apple is a very, very unique place. I um, I loved the Apple culture in the way that um, it's very down to earth. Mm -hmm. You know, it's always like to look at the facts, uh, look at the numbers. Uh, even though at the surface, people feel like, you know, Apple is a, a, a glamorous place like you know all this uh, fancy advertisements and all these headlines but the reality is is <clears throat> apple people are super smart and uh, hardworking. you yeah. know people are not just a talk the talk uh, but also walk the walk right. you know, just uh, if you look at uh, silicon valley you go to the parking lot after 5 p.m or even 6 p.m you know, mm -hmm. if you compare all these companies, how many cars left in the parking lot, yeah. you, you can tell a difference. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So let me ask you this. So you were there from 1999 to 2011? Uh, to, to, from 2000, because 1999 was my <clears throat> second year at MBA. So I was hired in 2000. Okay. So from 2000 to 2012. Yeah. Okay. So you saw a massive turnaround. Mm -hmm. You were there when they were turning that entire thing around. Yeah, <laughs> that had to have been really cool. Absolutely, and uh, I was the very first expatriate uh, that Apple sent from Cupertino to Shanghai. I started the entire Apple China operations. Yeah, what was it like working for Steve Jobs? Um, well, I have to say, you know, I never directly worked for Steve Jobs. You know, he was he was the CEO, uh, and. Uh, I think he has a very strong mind. Mm -hmm. He's so determined to do what he wanted to do. I think uh, many times prove that, you know, he was absolutely right. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a, a documentary I watched I, uh, on, a, on a flight, actually probably a couple of years ago or maybe mm -hmm. three years ago called The Man Behind the Computer or mm -hmm. something like that. <laughs> Sorry if I didn't code it right. Um, but that was about the Steve and about actually those years I was with Apple. And uh, 
on that flight, I cried, you know, after watching that because it was just uh, like, you know, a lot of uh, memories and a lot of things, um, you know, what was mentioned in the documentary so resonate with me. You know, I, yeah. I was there during that period of time. That had to have been amazing. So you end up leaving in 2012. Why do you leave Apple? Um, that's also a very good question. I had a, a, a great career and a great boss and uh, mm. I really uh, loved the You know, I love a lot of coworkers. I, I really like, you know, working with them. They're so smart. You know, yeah. they're uh, absolutely the, uh, the best people you can think of, you know, to be your coworkers. Um, but on the other side, I also started thinking about, at the time I was 38, I started thinking about um, what would be next for me. Uh, I can see sort of the path uh, down the road, but on the other side, I have some other sort of uh, dreams in one way. And on the other side, I just had my first child, mm -hmm. uh, my first daughter a year earlier. I started thinking, uh, should I slow down? Uh, to be able to mind my family yeah. uh, because uh, you know at that time I thought like I could come back at any point to to ramp iPhone 20 or something but uh, if I miss uh, the early days of my child mm. uh, I don't know if I can you know say uh, come back to yeah. to see her first step where you know while she was in uh, in elementary school <laughs> so um, yeah they're only that age uh, once yeah exactly so and I thought like uh um, maybe that was uh, the, the, the good timing to kind of do something different. So you leave Apple mm -hmm. and what do you do? Uh, I was a stay home mom for a year. Okay. I basically uh, started thinking about what I would do. And I, you know, I'll talk about maybe slightly later, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I basically just uh, take care of my child and we travel around the world uh, we went to London. We spent four months in China, mm -hmm. uh, catching up with friends and families, uh, traveling around. And uh, and I was uh, thinking, actually, it was all in my mind. I was uh, thinking about what I wanted to do next because right. I did have some ideas. Uh, you know, I love to travel and I see the lack of technology in travel planning. And uh, so I wanted to do an integrated platform uh, mm -hmm. for um for travel. So I right. wanted to stay away from hardware, from manufacturing, you know, from what I used to do day in, day out right. uh, with that Apple. Yeah. So you travel for a year, show the baby off. <laughs> right. I've yeah. been there. I did that <laughs> tour too, twice. Oh. Mine are 23 and 25 now. Oh. Uh, but I'll never forget it. I'll never forget, you know, when our firstborn was born and when our second one was born, we were on tour. Right. We were all over the place taking these babies out to show them off. So it was um, it was a lot of fun. It was one of the one of the best times of my life. So so you, you're you're off for a year, stay at home mom. And then what do you decide to do? Um, I was a kind of uh, brewing ideas uh, of my next business. And uh, so uh, I basically assembled a team uh, with a uh, with a bunch of uh, software programmers and uh, graphic designers. Um, so we did a, a, a travel itinerary uh, planning um, sort of software. Okay. 
idea was, as you imagine, uh, I don't know how you plan your travel, but I used to do like a gigantic spreadsheet, you know, mm -hmm. uh, where uh, the date, the, 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 where to stay, the flight, and then the sizing and all this. And all I, the know, information that you need in one spot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. At the time, like Google Map wasn't that big. That was right. still like Yahoo Map, if you, you right. remember. Yeah, that I remember faster, Yahoo right? Map. Yeah, yeah, those days. Um, and then the calendar, I can, I'm a person cannot live without a calendar. I like to kind of book all everything, put everything on my calendar. Uh, but then I also use like TripAdvisor and some other uh, tour guide, you know, plan, like Lonely Planet to find all the points of interest. So I thought like I could integrate, you know, some of uh, all this information that I can have uh, a better user experience. So that's what I did for the uh, for the for the next uh, like um, uh, three years after Apple. Yeah. Okay. There's so another you... lessons learned. <laughs> yeah. So Go you ahead. develop this software, mm -hmm. and you're and you sell it, obviously, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Do you? No, I did not. Actually, I shut it down. Oh, you shut it down. Okay. Yeah, I shut so you, it down. Yeah. So you develop that software. You you have it for three years or so, mm -hmm. and then where do you go? Uh, then I started doing. Uh, well, I said as I said, you know, I felt like in the travel business, uh, there are uh, struggles everywhere. It's right. not a supply chain that you know uh, that uh, has a lot of money in it. I have to say, um, and then I decided to, and it's a very service oriented. I want to do more technology. Uh, so at one point, like when I was started thinking about what's next after uh, the travel itinerary uh, thing uh, was um, I got a phone call from somebody uh, who familiar with my background and said, hey, Ying, I need some recommendation on the supply chain. Uh, do you know somebody doing packaging? You know, mm -hmm. we they have a particular problem they want to solve. And I and in more kind of sustainable way, right. um, and I said, oh, that's easy. You know, let me, you know, because of packaging. Actually, I've been to hundreds of factories. Mm -hmm. Packaging has never been an issue on my radar list. So right. I thought, like, okay, I'll just go find some vendor. Um, but when I visited many different vendors, I found like nobody in the packaging industry is really focusing on sustainability. You know, yeah. how to make the packaging more sustainable, more recycle, recycling friendly. Um, so, I, and I happened to meet with my technical partner uh, who has a perfect combination of background, you know, from like a paper mill, paper making industry, and also from plastic polymer, you know, uh, companies. And that, you know, he worked for both of the industries. And I felt like, um, you know, that would be a good combination. Like for me, I, I can be the product person, be the uh, kind of the, the industry person, then, you know, we can get some technology uh, proven to be working uh, for packaging. So that's right. kind of how I got started in the current uh, Blue Lake packaging business. Yeah. yeah. So Blue Lake is sustainable, right? Mm -hmm. it, it creates or, or makes sustainable packaging. Mm -hmm. And when you say sustainable, you're talking about something that's biodegradable, right? Mm -hmm. And you're talking a... about something that you can recycle. Uh, yeah, I think that's a very good question uh, because of when it comes to sustainable packaging, there are probably different elements of the definition. You know, right. people are talking about using recycled material yeah. uh, where people are talking about the recycling friendly, right. uh, where people are talking about the biodegradability or uh, composability. Uh, so, yeah, I think for, for us, we're very much focusing on recycling with paper we're gotcha. focusing on kind of composability and of course the biodegradability which is a little bit kind of loose 
you know, when it comes to uh, biodegradability. Yeah. Right. So, so Blue Lake being sustainable, mm -hmm. tell us what your definition of sustainable is. Uh, to us, yeah, I always look at things uh, from input, output, and the processing point of view. Right. So think about that. Right. So from the input perspective, you know, what we use as raw materials are all kind of bio-based or plant-based, either okay. fiber or, you know, bio-based uh, additives. Um, so that's kind of the input. And then for the output, uh, basically our exit criteria would be uh, recycling with paper uh, or backyard composable. Okay. And inside of the manufacturing, as you can imagine, the input and output, the, the process, the transformation, uh, that you know, no toxic chemicals, um, how we can make it more energy efficient, and then we'll be able to scale. And so that's kind of uh, basically how we're defining our sort of product. So when people when people talk about sustainability, it's the reason I'm asking. When people talk about sustainability, they're talking about things that um, it, it's a it's a broad it's a broad definition, right? So what you're what it sounds like you're saying is you're using things going in. The input is environmentally friendly. Yep. Right. It's not something that's going to last in the soil. It's not something that's going to um, poison you know our wildlife and that kind of thing, right? Or our kids, right? Um, and you know adults or you know animals and people and and then the output. It sounds like it's something that if people were to throw it away or they were to bury it in their backyard, it would biodegrade mm -hmm. in a way to where it just become part of the soil. It'd be com it'd be composting, right? Mm -hmm. Compost eligible, I guess is the best way, right? Yeah. So that's that's what you're talking about in terms of in terms of that sustainability thing. You're talking about something, for lack of a better term, that's just environmentally friendly. It's safe. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. So we always like to say. From nature to nature, right? You know? So just as something you get from nature, you don't have to do some like synthetic, you know, material or anything. Like plastics and, then, and all that kind of stuff that ruin the yeah, environment. yeah, exactly. And then back to the nature because we know, regardless of how much you know we are promoting recyclability, mm -hmm. but that you know there will be something end up in the soil in the ocean, but yeah. it will not damage or harm you know the soil because the soil and the ocean that's a kind of the point of our food chain, you know, the yeah. beginning of our food chain. So you do not want to kind of poison those uh, in a way uh, and then back into your body and into your kind of food system. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, and also uh, what's interesting when you talk about, about uh, the composability and the, you know, uh, biodegradability, uh, we use the TUV home, which is a standard that used in Europe. And uh, to keep it simple, it's a, a long standard, but to keep it simple was the test they do was uh, they will put it, you know, your product into the soil. Mm -hmm. And then after 90 days, they're going to put seeds, you know, in the soil and the seed, like a hundred seeds, for instance, you know, and then see how many seeds will kind of uh, sprout, you know, will grow. So that's, that's a how, idea. you know, yeah, how, how you know, uh, your product will be able to kind of, uh, combined, you know, into the, into the really the food system. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's really smart because you're, you're literally proving that it's environmentally safe, right? Mm -hmm. It's good for, it's good for nature. It's good for the environment. Yeah. That's really Absolutely. smart. I didn't know yeah. Europe did that. That's awesome. 
<laughs> yeah, that's. I don't know how many companies go, go through that kind of standard, but that's the standard that I I I really really like. I feel yeah. like yes, say you know we really look at. I, I'm hoping like all companies, you know, I recently posted on LinkedIn. I really hope like, because last week I just arrived the news so the 1.5 degree has passed, you know, and, uh, uh, but I feel like that's a very convoluted target <laughs> for many people. We, as ordinary people like us, we don't really know, you know, what we can do with the 1.5 degree, right. but I also feel like, you know, for companies and even for ourselves, we can look at, you know, even, uh, how many revenue? How much revenue, or even cost of goods sold, comes from you know reuse, recycle, repair, um, repurpose. Yeah. You know, so we should you know eventually, hopefully, split the revenue into two categories. And uh, well, I think it's. I mean, it's also it's also a real selling point for people because if people know that you're using like Patagonia, right? Patagonia is a, a good example. They're environ environmentally friendly to a you know to a degree, right? So to the nth degree, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, when people understand that you're, that people, that whoever it is that they're buying from, mm -hmm. company A is using non-sustainable, non-environmentally friendly packaging, and company B is using yours, mm -hmm. they're going to choose, they're going to choose B all day long mm -hmm. if they care about their planet, if they care about their kids, if they care about the future of this place, right? Yeah. So that's something that, for a company, for a company to be using you to contract with you and use your packaging is a real advantage for them, and it's something that they can market, right? When they're talking to their to their to their customers, their potential customers that mm -hmm. care about the environment. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yeah it's a big absolutely. thing. I think a lot of companies are using sustainability as one of their marketing kind of voice. Yeah. Uh, just a you know i from now i i can say i'm from the industry uh i think it just become a matter of uh what's really kind of environmentally friendly and what claim to be environmentally friendly but it may yeah. not be the case right yeah. so, so there are always the different standards and different perspectives so yeah. we've had a ton of coaches and mentors and authors and and experts and marketing people and all that gurus right that are mm -hmm. all talking about differentiation they're all talking about how this company and this company do the exact same thing, mm -hmm. but this company differentiates themselves. Well, this is an opportunity for companies to massively differentiate themselves and then market to their potential customers, to this company's customers, right? That they're taking care of the planet. They're taking care of the environment. They're taking care of our children's future. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I saw your yesterday's, uh, you know, uh, podcast and you interviewed somebody from Toys who used to work for a toy, toy, toys company. Sal, Sal Panici. <laughs> yeah, and working on that book. You, originally, you know, the book name caught my eye, like a plastic toy box. And I yeah. thought, like, okay, plastic. <laughs> yeah. So he, he wrote so, a book called The Toy Box, right? Uh -huh. Now he's got another one called The Plastic Toy Box that he's writing. And he oh, wrote about his mom called a, a life well lived. He's really cool. He that just hit that literally just hit the the system um last night while I was asleep. So uh yeah. yeah, Sal is Sal is one of those Jersey guys. I mean, he's through and through. He's you saw what I was talking about. I mean, he's yeah. a he's a kick. So Yeah, uh, exactly. So I love yeah, it. That was, yeah, that's all very interesting. But I think what I'm trying to say is, you know, like even in toys, you know, uh, we, because you're talking about kids, they're talking about parenting, yeah. you know, as a parent myself, I really want to create an environment that, you know, uh, that my kids can enjoy, you right. know, 
30, 40 years down the road. Yeah, yeah, let's be honest. Our job as parents, our job as leaders, our job as business owners, okay, mm -hmm. is to leave this planet a bit better than how we found it, mm -hmm. okay? Because our kids are going to take over. Our grandkids are going to take over. Mm -hmm. And we need to leave this place better than how we found it, not worse. I absolutely agree. You know, yeah, I that's where that's where Blue Lake comes in. <laughs> thank Gingler, you. Yeah, I, I cannot thank you enough. I cannot thank you enough for your for for spending this time with me. I totally enjoyed our time together. I cannot thank you enough for being a, a guest on our of the Mike Litton experience. And I'm super, super excited for what you're doing and for your future. And I'm super proud of you. Oh, thank you so much. It has been a privilege to be here. It was nice meeting you. Take care and thanks again. Thank you. Yep. Bye. We hope you enjoyed another episode of the Mike Litton experience. If you did, do us a favor, smash that subscribe button, tell your friends, family, and coworkers about our program, and wherever you get your podcasts, please leave us a rating. It helps us to connect with quality people just like you. And that's a wrap. Another episode of the Mike Litton Experience in the books. Reach out to Mike on Instagram at Litton Realty. Want to meet with Mike? Check out calendly.com slash Rio 760.